welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Kingdom Culture family, so good to see you. Happy Sunday. Thank you so much to the worship team. Let the light in. What a good declaration for a season like this. In the midst of so much chaos around us, we're praying that God's light would invade what feels like sometimes darkness. That's our prayer in this season uh, over our nation, over the nations, uh, over the church at large globally, and over our own house that God's light would continue to come in in those areas that just may feel a little dark. And so uh, super excited about this season and super excited about this season being back live for in-person experiences. I know that you're watching online right now, but we're also live right now as well uh, with those that are gathering with us locally. Of course, if you're abroad, continue watching with us online, staying connected as well. If you don't feel comfortable coming back to in-person experiences, then this is the place for you. Uh, You know, many people have asked, well, why aren't you broadcasting the actual live experience online? A couple reasons. One, we, you know, we want to keep the online short. We know the attention span of most people watching church online isn't super long. And so this, you know, this experience often is about an hour long total, you know, short worship experience, message, announcements, you know, and some ministry, but uh, the 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 live is you know usually about an hour and a half or a little longer. And there's a couple also other reasons in that we're rebuilding right now our media team. We've been out of you know in person experiences for two years now, and so while we get that rebuilt and while we rebuild all of our teams in this rebuilding season, we're going to keep this the way that it is online, and also just so that there's no interruptions. You know, obviously with new venues, there can always be technical interruptions that create problems. So this is a little bit more produced for you so that you don't have these blips and interruptions so you can still have online church with us. But hey, if you're local and uh, and if you're ever visiting Ottawa, we'd love to see you in person in our new venue at the Overflow Brewery Company. So exciting news though, this coming week, and I know that you heard it in the announcements, we have a new podcast episode coming out with great friend of mine, Lyle Phillips, and honestly, it's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite in a different way because we really dive into a really juicy, juicy topic, the idolatry of popularity. So you're going to want to see that or hear that, sorry. Uh, This Wednesday, it drops. So, you know, if you haven't subscribed already to the Supernatural Leadership Podcast, this is not on the Kingdom Culture Podcast, which is separate. Uh, This is on the Supernatural Leadership Podcast. If you want to grow in your leadership and you want to grow in the supernatural, this podcast is for you. It's a free training platform to take your leadership to the next level. 
and help you in all facets of leadership. And so I want to encourage you, check out this week's episode, subscribe. And hey, if you have a chance, rate it, review it, and share it online. Share it with your friends. Let us know how it's impacting your life. Today, we are also launching a brand new series called Peace. Everyone say peace. Peace. When it feels like there's chaos all around us. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be diving into uh, this topic of peace. And I really feel like it's um, prophetic in the sense of the season that we're in, um, just as a city, as a nation, and just as a church globally. I mean, we need to be people of peace. We need to rebuild and build with peace. We need to fight with peace. And this is what we're praying for uh, during this season, that peace would hit the earth in a powerful way. Peace would hit our city in a powerful way because when peace does, it's a representation of Mr. Peace himself. And so, like I said, like, and I've been saying for a while in the last several weeks, actually, if you heard, I think it was two weeks ago, if you haven't heard that message about the pillars of building, I want to, I want you to go back and listen to that. And I even kind of did a little bit of a, uh, you know, a spinoff, um, more focused episode on my Supernatural Leadership podcast called The Weapon of Leadership. And we talked about peace and how peace is both a weapon to build and also, or sorry, a weapon to fight with and a tool to build with. And so check that out because I just feel like the word is peace, peace in this season. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 is a prophecy and really statement, prophetic statement about who Jesus is 700 years before his time. Isaiah the prophet chapter 9 verse 6 says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He's Mr. P himself, Master P himself for all you uh, 90s hip hoppers out there. He's Master P himself, Mr. Peace. Okay, and this, this is powerful because Jesus doesn't just give us peace. He is peace. It's who he is. It's like God doesn't just dish out love. He is love. It's, it's just who he is. He can't help but love because he is. He can't help but release peace because that's who he is. He is the prince of peace. And this word for peace, really one of the, the definitions of peace in this context really is prosperity is prosperity. It's the shalom of God, the weighty prosperity of God. I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about prosperity in all aspects of our life, within our soul, within our health, in every area of our life. He is the prince of prosperity, the prince of peace. Now let's go back to John 14, which is, I would say this is the verse, the foundational verse for this series, um, the motivator for this series, John 14, 27. Jesus says this, he hasn't left the earth yet, he hasn't left, he hasn't died and resurrected yet. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, but not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We have two, these two um, uh, circumstantial 
are realities. We have these two experiences. We have these two situations that he's addressing, the situation or circumstance of trouble, of things that are unsettling you, challenges, opposition. Then we have the fear that those things also can bring, the paralyzing, intimidating fear. And in the midst of those two realities that, listen, we will always come up against, God has given us the weapon to fight with. He's given us peace. And he says this, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Because the world gives it to you in a temporary way. You buy this, you'll get some peace. You get your dream house, you'll feel peace. You pay off your debt, you'll feel peace. You get the, you know, the dream girl, the dream man, whatever, you'll get some peace. You know, the world is always shouting at you, if you just do this, you'll have peace. But let me just tell you, it's a temporary feeling of peace. And Jesus is not talking about a temporary feeling of peace. He's giving you the, the kind of peace that has eternity in mind. That you know that the, at the end of the day, you know whose you are, you know where you're going, you know that God has got you. You have a promise on the other side of death. You have the promise of eternal life. This is the kind of peace that God gives you. When you, when you, when you realize that, that this life that we live is but a drop in the bucket, a drop in the pond, you know, it's a small little drop and you realize how much more there is beyond, there is a peace that comes that I can live life and maneuver life and I know that I don't just have one chance I have eternity to think about. I have eternity. This is the gift. That's why it's called a gift of eternal life. Salvation, Paul says in Romans, it's the gift of eternal life. It's a free gift. And so this is the kind of peace that Jesus gives us. One of the ways, like I said earlier, even in the Greek, it could be defined is prosperity. But it also can could represent quietness. It can represent rest, that you can rest when life is chaotic, rest when life is in trouble, rest when you are being attacked and intimidated and feel like you're tempted to let fear paralyze you, you can rest. Jesus in Mark chapter four rested in the boat sleeping while the storm, the trouble, the fear that was hitting the disciples was all around the boat. What was he doing? He was sleeping. He was resting. He is the Prince of Peace. He was manifesting peace on earth, which is the prophetic proclamation over him that we even see in Isaiah chapter nine, even verses before. He's literally peace on earth. Now this fear, I already mentioned it also, it means to be living in dread. It means a paralyzing fear of consequences or to be timid. These are the things, uh, this is one of the main things that peace helps us fight against. Fear, intimidating fear. Peace is the key to accessing the life we are called to live. If you heard my story several weeks ago uh, in my encounter, which was part of the motivation for this message, it was like over a decade ago, and God has been reminding me of this over and over again. Sean, I want you to be a man of peace. I want you to be a man of peace. And you can't just say you are a man of peace. You have to practice being a man of the, a man of peace. You can't just say you are of faith. You have to practice living out your faith. Everything in our life with God is about living it out. It's about practicing it. It's about um, doing it, doing the thing that we say we believe. Real faith is not faith if there's no action represented. It's just thought. It's it's hopefulness. It's not actually lived out. When you live out faith, it's real faith. And so peace is the key to accessing the life that we are called to live. 
And uh, this is something that we really have to wrestle wrestle with. But there's one big thing, and we're going to address this in and out of today's message and theme. There's one big thing that I really feel that we have to war against to keep our peace. And that's a hard heart. It's a hard heart. Come on, say it. Hard heart. We all go through seasons, whether it's because of loss, failure, disappointment, discouragement, um, fear, trouble all around us. Uh, Like John says, we all go through seasons where we have the temptation to let our heart get hard. Mm -hmm. And our heart gets hard, you know, it can turn into bitterness, it can turn into a lot of things that are destructive to our spiritual life. But we have to war against this hardness, keeping our hearts soft. You know, Psalms 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That word for delight literally means to keep a soft heart towards God, to keep a softened heart towards God. We have to wrestle for this. I think, and I believe this, that peace, having the, manifesting the peace of God, practicing the peace of God is a huge part to the, in, in the whole you know, war that we have of keeping our heart being soft against the hardness that may try to come in. Some of the symptoms of a hard heart are we can't hear anymore. We can't hear, recognize the voice of God. It's like, you know, and we'll say stuff sometimes like God is not speaking, you know, and if you've been around me for any length of time and you've ever even been to, if you've been to my school or you, you know, we have a a school. If you visit supernaturalleadership.com, you can sign up for our e-course on recognizing the voice of God. If you've been around me for any length of time or even read my book, you would know that I just don't believe that we don't ever not hear the voice of God. We don't recognize the voice of God. We don't recognize the voice of God. And sometimes not recognizing the voice of God over and over and over and over and over again sometimes is because we have a hardness of heart towards the ways that God could be speaking. We think God only speaks through the Bible. Or like, you know, I have to open my Bible like biblical roulette. And like, if I just land on the right verse, it's like, that's the only way God's going to speak to me. Or it's only going to speak to me. Yes, he does speak to you. He does speak to us through his Logos word. But he also speaks to us in dreams and so many other ways. And maybe you have a hard heart towards these other areas because of fear, because maybe of abuse, because of, you know, what if you're deceived and you've hardened your heart towards those ways? Well, this is one of the symptoms of a hard heart. We would say that we no longer recognize or we can't hear the voice of God. Or maybe a symptom of the hard heart, of a hard heart could be dulled to the reality of sin. We just don't care. And just by the way, let me just define this for you. Sin is simply missing the mark. That's the definition. It's missing the mark. If there's a target and it's righteousness, it's the glory of God. Well, when we sin, we miss that target. We miss the mark. We miss God's standard. That's why all have fallen short, Romans says, of God's glorious standard. All have fallen short of the glory of God. This is why we need a savior, right? We've all missed the target. This is what sin does. It causes us to miss the target. But we become dulled sometimes to the reality of the importance of even having a target. And that's walking out and living out his righteousness because we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Or maybe we have no passion. We have no passion. We've lost our passion. We've lost our drive. These are symptoms of a hard heart. We have a disdain for anything different or for change. We don't like change. You know, it's like we're at this new venue now. 
you know, you want to go back to, I miss it when I was at Cineplex, or you're still thinking about if you've been with us for, you know, some time now, back when we were on in our permanent facility before Costco took it over, you know, we're, we're, we miss the way it was. We miss the security, the comfort. We don't like change. We have a disdain for change. This could be a symptom of a hard heart. Now, this happened, and I'm setting all this up for a reason, because this happened to Israel, the people of Israel, after over 430 years of slavery in Egypt, under various rulers, under pharaohs, okay, not just one pharaoh, many pharaohs, they have been 430 years in slavery, an oppressed people, lost themselves. They had lost themselves. They had lost who they were, their value, and they were being led and oppressed by rulers that had a hard heart towards God, towards Yahweh, towards the God of Israel. And so here we are now. I want to pick it up and I want to open up with Exodus chapter 14. Okay, Exodus chapter 14. The people of Israel finally get free from Pharaoh's grip. 430 years, they get free. There's been 10 plagues. Pharaoh's like, okay, I'm done. Can't handle it anymore. I'm finally, I'm going to let these people go. Remember Moses had a call from God. We see it in Exodus chapter 3 as a burning bush experience. God's like, I see, I've seen the oppression of my people. It's time to, to, to send a deliverer. You're that man. There was an argument between Moses and God. He didn't think he could do it. God's like, I'm going to use you. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, you have a staff in your hand. I'm going to use that staff as a tool for the miraculous, you know, and if you, if you know some of the stories, this was the introduction to the next 10 plagues that took place to basically, you know, cause Pharaoh to finally give up and give in and let the people go. He just couldn't handle it anymore. And so now they've left in defiance to the Pharaoh. They've left Egypt. You know, there would have been about 1.5 million people, 5 million Jews under the oppression, under this rule of Pharaoh for 430 years. They leave, they finally are out, and now they're at their first big challenge called the Red Sea, okay? And the enemy is approaching them. Pharaoh, although he had let them go, he had hardened his heart even more and was like, you know what, now we're going to catch them. They've come to this spot. They can't move forward. We're going to corner them and take them out. How dare they leave um, our, my rule? How dare they leave, you know? And so Exodus 14, chapter, or chapter 14, verse 10. And when the Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very, what? Afraid. What's, a, what's, what's one of the weapons that we need to fight fear? Peace. They were afraid. They were in fear. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Verse 11, then they said to Moses, because there was no, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Like, remember now, they had a confidence in this new leader, this new deliverer. They saw some signs. I mean, they saw many signs. <laughs> they had many crazy moments through all these plagues, okay, to watch, okay, this Moses guy is legit. Like, you know, and, and, and like finally our people are being delivered of 430 plus years of slavery. We get out and now all of a sudden, like what? Was all that for nothing? Like I thought we believed in the God of Moses, the God who was leading our new deliverer. Like what happened? You know, we're all of a sudden at this challenge. What happened? If God can do all the things that he just did, why can't he make a way? You'd think that they would think that, but this is just human nature. So they're like, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us 
up out of Egypt. Like we were fine. We had our meals, you know, we had security. We were comfortable in our slavery, basically is what they're saying. We actually were more comfortable in our slavery. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Don't be in fear. He's confronting the fear. He's confronting with the fear, with the peace that he has in this moment of the call of God over his life to be the deliverer for the people. He's confronting the fear with the peace of God that comes from the calling and the grace of God on his life to deliver these people. He says this, stand still, which is actually a reflection of what peace looks like. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which literally means the rescue, the help of the Lord. Stand still to let the Lord rescue and help you, which he will accomplish for you today for the Egyptians whom you see today. This is a, this is like a, this is a prophecy. You shall see again no more forever. He's prophesying what's about to happen. I don't know if they're getting it. It says this, this is the key verse. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace, hold your ground. Today's message, everyone say this with me, is hold it, hold it, hold it, hold what? Our peace. What does it mean to hold our peace when we're faced up against the most, most paralyzing of situations? Like, I don't know about you, but this would be a troublesome and very fear-driven moment for me. I, you know, you, you, you get these people, 1.5 million-ish people out of bondage and we, and, and not too long after we're already at our next bondage moment in a sense. Like we're all now getting hit with fear. Moses had to have a peace. Moses had, I mean, Moses had this instruction just to, to hold it by standing, by being still, letting God fight. You know, Moses was part of the fight you know, initiating the plagues, making the proclamations. You know, God still did it, of course. But this time, God's like, just stand there. Just stand there. Just stand there. Be still. I'm going to do this on behalf of you. Hold your peace. Hold your stillness. Hold your trust. And I want to talk a little bit today about how to walk that out. It's one thing, like I said, to say you are a man of peace, but to actually walk it out and practice it. We're going to fail. We're going to screw it up. We're not going to be in peace in situations. We're going to mess it up all the time. I mess it up all the time. You know, as a parent of four kids, I mess it up all the time. I'm trying to teach my, my kids right now just what it looks like to practice peace, meditate on peace, manifest peace. And, and I am continuing day by day to learn this. The things that used to make me uh, or make me feel unrest, I'm learning to let not make me feel unrest and manifest the peace of God by just focusing in, leaning in. Because God, God keeps reminding me of this word over a decade ago. Sean, if you want to be, if you're a man of peace, I'm going to give you access to these things. But I don't, you, these things you won't be able to handle if you cannot handle your peace and hold your peace. And so remember it says in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, do not be afraid, stand still and see the help and rescue of the Lord. The Lord will fight fight for you and you shall hold your peace. That's verse 14. This word means to cease. To hold your peace is to cease. Cease striving, fighting on your own initiative. You know, I think there is a time for that. Don't, don't hear me. When, I'm, when I share this word, I am not sharing this word as this is the only way. 
Because there is, I mean, scripture, you can't just isolate specific stories in scripture and say this is the only way. There are times. There are times when the, the, the fight will look different. But I would say this, that even if the fight looks different, you still need to manifest peace. Because peace is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. It's still a fruit of the Spirit, peace, joy, kindness. It's still a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the nature of Jesus himself. So even in the other areas where maybe we're not just standing there doing nothing, like peace still needs to reign as a focus in your life. But to hold your peace means to cease. It means it could mean to be quiet, to rest, to be silent, to speak not a word, hold the tongue. And I think this is so key because the tongue, what you say, is really a reflection of the heart. And in this moment, I think Moses was was being called in front of the people to manifest what was truly inside of him by not going berserk, freaking out, screaming at God. It's like, you brought us this far. God's like, just chill. Because if you go crazy right now, they'll lose trust. So I want you to hold your peace. You watch what I do. I'm going to fight for you. Be still and I will fight for you. One of the other definitions could be described as to be or become marked by the absence of sound. Perhaps indicating peace as well or makes no moves and takes no action. In this context, like there was no action that Moses physically could do. It's like, let's build a boat really quick and cross over. Like there was no physical action striving that Moses could even do. Sometimes God will literally bring us to situations where the situation itself paralyzes us so much that all we can do is just be still. Like sometimes God will do that. It's like brings us to the end of ourselves. I always say this to, to our, our, our family and our culture. He'll bring us to the end of ourselves so we can find the beginning of him. So we can be introduced to a new side of the nature of God where we come in, into situations that are just impossible. Like the, I gotta, if I'm going to walk on this water, like it's impossible. I actually just got to get out and I might sink. I might drown. It's literally impossible. So I'm just going to obey at your word, God. Peter said, at your word, I'm going to get out of the boat. I'm going to walk on water. So I want to dive into four practical tools in manifesting peace or representing peace. And number one, it's listen. Listen. As I take a little drink of my coffee here. Number one is listen. Exodus chapter 14, verse 1. And the Lord gave these instructions. Who gave instructions to Moses? The Lord. The Lord. God gave Moses instructions. Moses had to, if it wasn't for these instructions, I don't know if Moses would have been able to handle and hold his peace. God only asks you to hold on to or manifest based on something based on the fact that he knows you can because of what he's already spoken to you. God would never ask you to do anything that he does not believe and know you can do and accomplish. And so because God gave him these instructions, it makes sense, only makes sense that God would be like, Okay, hold your peace. I know you can do it because I remember I gave you these instructions so you can be still. You can be confident. The people with you, maybe they didn't know about this. They didn't hear about this. They don't fully understand it, but you do. I've been leading you, Moses, the entire time. I've been showing you how faithful I am. I've done all these things to get you to where you are today, and I'm giving you instructions. I'm never going to lead you into a place where there's no instruction I'm not going to expect anything of you that is not already within you. This is what basically was happening here. In chapter 14, verse 1, the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Verse 2, order the Israelites to turn back and camp by 
can't say the name. Okay. P P I don't know how to say it. Between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore, across from Baal Zephon. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory. Listen to this. I have planned this in order to display my glory. I have planned this. Kind of like what I talked about last week in John chapter 11 with Lazarus being raised from the dead. There, there, there was a glory display pre-planned in the resurrection of Lazarus. He says here, I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After the, this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. So he gets this instruction, they get there, and that's why Paul says, or sorry, Paul, God says to Moses, hold your peace, because this is part of the plan. And then it says in verse 8, it happens, whatever God said would happen, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with fist raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces and Pharaoh's armies. All the horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops, the Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near that same place across from Baal Sephon. Now, let me just say this. So picture the, the scenario right now. Moses has the instruction throughout this juncture, impossible situation. They've been let go out of, uh, of, of Egypt, 430 plus years of slavery. They feel like they're free. Now they feel bound again. The people feel scared. They feel fear. They feel troubled. What's needed right now? Peace. Peace is the only thing that's going to get them across to the, the other side. Now, I'm speaking about Moses. Moses is a prophetic picture of what they all need to have in this moment to get through what feels impossible. Okay, so this is the scenario. They're being surrounded. It's part of the plan. Now, let me just address something because, you know, a lot of people would think, well, why would God harden Pharaoh's heart? Like, why couldn't God just, you know, soften Pharaoh's heart. Well, first of all, when you're studying scripture, which I tell people all the time, like you can't just read scripture. You have to study scripture. Paul encourages Timothy to study and show yourself approved. We study scripture. We don't read it. We study it. We get into it. We become the word manifest. Like God wants us. John 1 14 says that Jesus was the word made flesh. Well, now because Jesus is with us and in us, Okay, and we're connected in union with him and share an inheritance with him, co-laboring with him as co-heirs with him. Guess what? We are to make become the word made flesh. We are to become the word made flesh where we give our own flesh represent like we represent the word himself within our bodies, within our mortal bodies, within our lives every day. Romans 12 says it, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is our act of worship. Everything that we are is an act of worship. We're offering our bodies, our lives to God, okay? So the, the picture is that we are to make the words of, uh, of scripture, which represents the word himself, give it flesh in our life, living it out. That's why we talked about practicing peace is about living out the word practicing peace, not just saying we are men of peace. So let me just backtrack for a second. So we study the word, okay? That was a little bit of a rabbit trail. We study the word 
And this is why it's so important because some people would read this and say, well, why would God harden the heart of Pharaoh? Because I did mention in the beginning, you know, one of the things that we war against, we talked about the symptoms of a hard heart. And it's important because we're drawing, you know, we're, we're drawing from both Pharaoh's um, situation and, and, and they're part of the reason why he was being judged. Really, well, the whole reason was he, has a, he had a hard heart. He was oppressing the people out of a hard heart. Like, like you have to have a hard heart to be somebody that's doing that for 430 years. Obviously, it wasn't just one pharaoh, but all the pharaohs, like every pharaoh was, was like, it was just the pharaohs in general, okay? So pharaoh, first of all, let me just say this, was not an innocent, he was not a godly man. He was a brutal dictator, you know, and obviously he he oversaw the, the abuse, the oppression of the Israelites, like I said, who probably numbered 1.5 million people at that time. And they had the all the Egyptians pharaohs were in part and played a part in this process, and um, you know they did a lot of really bad things. We won't get into all that. So these pharaohs had all hardened their heart. If you can even read Exodus chapter three, it actually says that God knew what Pharaoh would do. God knew what Pharaoh would do. And then if you read Exodus chapter seven and you keep reading through the story all the way to this juncture of chapter fourteen. It actually talks about how the, and even like the language, even in the English translations, change changes where it's like Pharaoh hardened his own heart by rejecting, by being disobedient, by saying no to all the moments that he could have said yes. Okay, so you see some of it changing, but if you study the verb, okay, it's the verb kazak in the Hebrew. Often people would think it's a passive verb, okay, but it's actually not. It's a stative verb which neither determines whether it was Pharaoh or God hardening the heart of Pharaoh. And even if you read the first five plagues, how the heart was turning hard versus the last five plagues, the narrative changes. And so what I want to say this, and what I want to propose to you is this, is that it wasn't that God was hardening Pharaoh's heart. It was that Pharaoh had already rejected God, hardened his own heart, and as a result, it got harder. And because of what God was doing, it got harder harder and harder and harder, thus bringing us to this point in Exodus chapter 14. No, neither did Pharaoh never listened, of course, to what God had and what God wanted because he did not believe. He did not want, uh, obviously, the people of Israel to leave. And so he had hardened his heart. But thank God that Moses did not have a hard heart. And this situation could actually lean in to be the deliverer he was called to be. So I wanted to just I wanted to to break that down a little bit because I know that a lot of people have questions around that. And this is why we need to dive into the word of God, study the word of God. So number 1, we have listen, number 2, we have remember. We have remember. Let's go back to the beginning where Moses was called by God to do the very thing we see in Exodus chapter 14. That's in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, one day Moses was tending his flock. Now, remember this. Let me, let me give you a little bit of a backstory. Number one, Moses' name means one drawn out from the water. One drawn out from the water. If you know the story of what happened, you know, as a, as a three-month-year-old baby, uh, three to six months, and, and what was happening with Miriam and how they were hiding him out and they kind of let him go in a basket. And then he was raised in the house of Pharaoh, really. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in Egypt 40 years 
uh, which was interesting because he became the very person that delivered the people from Egypt. He knew the culture. He was of the culture in a sense. Um, he, he, he looked like the culture, trained in the culture, knew the ways of the culture. Then he was exiled because of murder 40 years 40 years later, for the next 40 years, he served his father-in-law Jethro in the wilderness. He went from the palace, okay, to the wilderness. Now, he was a Hebrew boy. Palace to the wilderness. Now, he's in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. And in the wilderness, while he's 80 years old, he encounters God and begins, really, the biggest part of his purpose. At the age of 80, to, to go back to Egypt, deliver his people. Interesting that he, you know, had this encounter in the wilderness and then led the people of Israel for another 40 years in the wilderness. He was a wilderness boy, okay? So just a little bit of an interesting fact there. One day Moses was tending his flock uh, of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Then I'll just kind of fast forward. An angel of the Lord comes. There's a burning bush. He stops. He, he, he leans in takes off his sandals, God speaks to him, it's holy ground, and calls him to do what he felt was impossible. Then it says in verse three, or verse seven to eight, the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people. In Egypt, I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey and a land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. So this promise of a better future, it was all but a promise of a better future. It was a promise that actually had been promised for centuries before. Moses now was going to do the thing that he even knew his forefathers were promised. And so Moses is going to lead the people from slavery, from bondage, from oppression, through the wilderness into the promised land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be a totally different bipolar experience from oppression to literally dominating and living fullness, living purpose, and experiencing the joy that comes with breakthrough and abundance, okay? So this is this is, this is is where I wanted to give you a little bit of a, uh, a backdrop for, for Moses because this is key for Moses. Like throughout all this process, throughout all the plagues, throughout all the process of fighting Pharaoh in a sense, to, to get Pharaoh to let his people go to this moment in Exodus chapter 14 at the Red Sea, it's important that we know how Moses started. It's important that we remember. We have to listen to God's instruction, but we also have to remember why we got into this in the first place. Maybe you're struggling right now. You are, you're literally in front of like a Red Sea moment. You're in front of like a impossible situation in your marriage, in your family, you know, in your business, in your career. Maybe you've lost your job recently. Maybe you've lost your business, went bankrupt. Maybe you're starting a new thing. Whatever the case may be, you're at a Red Sea moment. You're here. Like you got all the way here. You know God brought you here. But now you're doubting like, okay, so you got you brought me here. How am I going to get through this? Like how am I going to cross this impossible situation? This raging sea in front of me. And now you got people that have been following you. You got people that have been relying on you, just like Moses did. Not only do you have your own issues and your own responsibility and your own calling to wrestle through, you're also wrestling through the fact that there are people relying on you. And then if you don't pull through, they're going to be like, okay, was that a bunch of like hogwash? Like, what was that all about? Like, we followed you all the way here and now like we're just going to die. This was the state 
of Moses and the people. But thank God that Moses had an encounter. Thank God that Moses could go back, not only listen to God's instructions, knowing this was part of the plan, but to go back and remember this was always a part of the plan. Even before the plan was given in Exodus chapter 14 about how he would confuse the enemy at this juncture, this was always a part of the plan since the burning bush moment. That you're going to go through all these things. You're going to go through all these hoops. It's all about me raising you up as the man, as the deliverer, as the leader I've called you to be. Moses was actually considered in scripture, it's written about him, the most humble man that ever lived. The most humble man. The definition of humble or humility from a biblical as a biblical definition, is simple obedience over and over again. To be humble is to be obedient when you don't want to be. To be in surrender when you don't want to be, over and over again. You Nobody will manifest biblical kingdom humility without surrender and obedience, which really are the same thing. Over and over again every day. Laying down your life for another is an act of humility. Laying down your life for him who laid down his life for you before you were ever even born, who gave you and showed you love, who first loved you before you ever even deserved it. That's what humility looks like. And so we just emulate and represent and replicate the same thing in our everyday life. Loving him by laying our lives down over and over again. And I think that, I think the biggest challenge for all of us in this season is to not just listen and recognize what God is saying, the instructions that God is giving us to do what he's called us to do, but to always remember. And we talk about this, communion. This is communion 101, you guys. When Paul talks about, and Jesus did the Last Supper, and then Paul recounts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, about taking communion of the Lord's Supper. Like, and he says this, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, do this act of communion in remembrance of me. If you can remember, because you've listened, faith will return. I'm sure in these moments, Moses had to remember over and over again, that burning bush experience. Like, that was so crazy. Like, God called me 80 years old, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years, I thought I was done. And here I am just serving my father-in-law minding my own business, taking care of the sheep as a shepherd boy, kind of sounds like David. And here I go, I, all of a sudden I'm called out of nowhere about a bush, from a bush that is not consumed by the fire. He's, a, he's an all-consuming fire, yet this bush was not consumed by the fire. This is a miracle. I am blown away. I'm sure he was thinking about this while he was in these challenges and scenarios. And I, I just remember a time when... Uh, well, I remember many times actually where, you know, God spoke something to me and then it didn't happen, but then God challenged me to wrestle for it to, to happen. And then it happened, you know, cause the things don't happen. Like I said, last week in our, in our timeline all the time, I remember we were supposed to, when we were first married, we had moved seven times the first year we were married. And there was this one place that we, we were planning on moving to, we were house setting this house for six months and, uh, it was just our journey, you know, and, um, God had said this was this was going to happen. He gave us a word about it. And then it didn't happen because of some insurance issues or whatever. And then I remember being in the grocery store and God stopped me because I was discouraged. I was frustrated. I'm like, God, you spoke that this was going to happen. I listened to your instruction, you know, and I'm, I'm remembering at this point, like what he had said to me. And I'm in the grocery store and God, he basically rebuked me and said, stop. You need to pray because I told you this was going to happen just because there was a roadblock. And because they said it wasn't going to happen doesn't mean that I'm not going to make it happen. So I want you to re-engage this 
in this moment and become peace in this moment to let me do what I promised you I was gonna do. I remember in the grocery store, I just began to pray, I began to wrestle. I think it was that same day I got a phone call saying from this guy that I'd said no just weeks earlier. I think it was five days earlier. And uh, yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all good. And, and we ended up moving in this place for six months. And I just remember God teaching me in these moments over and over again to always remember Remember my instruction. Remember what I have said because that's how you manifest the peaceful kingdom life that I want you to manifest and demonstrate. So number three, we have practice. Practice. We're almost done. Practice. Practice. Practicing peace is just as important as the revelation of peace itself. Now that's a very, in some ways, controversial statement, but I revelation... You can have a revelation about something. You can have a revelation about love. The word, the the, the def- definition of a revelation is simply an unveiling of something where you were blind to it and now you see it, okay? You can have a revelation, but if you have no application, that revelation doesn't mean a lot, mm-hmm. honestly. And I would say that it's not even really a real, real revelation because a real revelation should actually turn into transformation, which literally looks like application, it looks like something. It sounds like something. And so the practicing of peace really is just as important as the revelation of peace itself. It needs to be manifest within our life. So how do we practice it? And what do we see? How do we see Moses practicing this, practicing this in this moment? Exodus chapter 14. Let's go there. Verse 21. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea. And the Lord opened up a path through the water. With a strong east wind, the wind blew all that night, turned the seabed into dry land, okay? So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side, which would have been between 75 and 100 feet of icy walls, literally on each side, okay? And it would have been about 12 miles long, and they would have walked between 3 and 6 a.m., okay, at this point. So here, here Moses is, he's practicing his peace now by... An action. Now, this is this is what I this is where I want to say. Like, even though he's called to be still, he's be the, the command is hold your peace. Don't freak out. Hold the peace within. But when you hold peace within, when you have something happening within, it looks like something on the outside. We live from the inside out, not from the outside in. This was an action to represent. His confidence in God. This was an action, an action to represent his trust in God. This was an action that actually he had done many, many times in the ten plagues, utilizing specifically, I mean, even his staff. But this was an action to represent an internal revelation of who God is and wanted to be in this moment. He raises his hand and the sea parts. And I just think that every day, we have an opportunity to raise our metaphoric, so to speak, hands to represent that we are moving ahead in peace. We have an opportunity every day to physically represent the peace that we carry within. We have an opportunity every day for our family, for our coworkers, for those around us to manifest peace in a way that is seen. Not just to walk around, you know, not saying anything to anybody, acting like we are full of peace with no action to follow through. You know, God's called us to walk out the talk. To walk out the talk. 
to walk it out. Everything that we say we believe. I mean, even 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, Paul said, the kingdom is not a matter of talk, but of power. Or the translations could, could read it like this. The kingdom is not a matter of word only, but of power so that, so that your faith may not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. So we know that a word isn't enough. We need the power of God. We need the action. We need to, the representation of the power of God to be seen. It's like even when Jesus was in jail and, uh, and, and was talking to John the Baptist's uh, disciple, because John the Baptist, his relative, was doubting if Jesus was the Messiah now after all that has gone on. And the disciple asks, are you really the one who, you know, who is sent? And John the Baptist is asking, like your cousin's asking. And Jesus said, go tell him the things which you hear and see. Because seeing is a byproduct of listening, remembering, and practicing. Seeing the kingdom is a byproduct of listening, remembering what you've listened to, the power of God, the promise of God. And then practicing it out, signs and wonders will follow those who believe. John sent, Jesus sent the John, the John the Baptist disciple back to John and said, go tell John the things which you hear and see. The dead are raised, the deaf hear, the blind see, demons are cast out. Like these things are happening. You need to see them to know that these people who are doing them actually believe in them. Okay, so this is very important that we practice Peace, last point, number done. Number four, simple but yet powerful, repeat. Do this over and over and over and over again. Because if you don't, this is where the temptation to have a hard heart comes in. Living this out over, not just one moment. We can, a lot of people that I know have had Red Sea moments and they would have said in that time, that was God, it was God. They share the testimony, they share it to the world, they share it on the platform, they share it on video, whatever, they share it with their family, they're all gung-ho, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But because they fail to repeat that pattern in the other Red Sea moments that have come their way, because the Red Sea moments don't always look the same. Now, it may be a Red Sea family moment, maybe a Red Sea, you know, bankruptcy moment, a re a re you know, a Red Sea, you know, divorce moment. And, and we don't see those moments like we did in the beginning. And so therefore we get, because we don't repeat that same pattern, the same God that brought Moses through there or the same God that brought you through, that's the Red Sea moment, can bring you through this moment as well. It may look different, it may sound different, it may even feel different, but he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He'll always be faithful. And because we don't repeat it, this is where a hard heart gets set in. This is where a hard heart begins to be made manifest. And Hebrews 3, now speaking of the people of Israel, it's interesting because the very person, Pharaoh, that had the hard heart, that was oppressing the people, the very thing or the very oppressive leadership regime that Israel was released from, delivered from, now became the very thing that Israel actually was challenged with the most while they were in the wilderness. Let me just say this again like this way. Moses had a hard heart. Because of his hard heart, he was oppressing the people. They get delivered from the manifestation of the hard heart through the oppression, 430 years. Now they're over this Red Sea moment. All of the Egyptians that came after them, they all got swept up by the waves. That's a whole other 
amazing revelation. There's so much truth and so much teaching in that alone and that process and what happened. They get over to the other side. They cross over. Now they're in the wilderness for 40 years. What was their biggest challenge? A hard heart. Even though they left Egypt, which represents a hard heart and bondage, Egypt didn't yet leave them inside. So now they're wrestling to get literally Egypt out of them. They got out of Egypt, but now Egypt is in them and they are struggling to get Egypt out of them. And this is all being made manifest and revealed in the wilderness. Hebrews chapter three, verse eight. Don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. 40 years going to the promised land. They could have got there in like under three weeks, but 40 years because of their hard heart. They kept forgetting. They stopped listening. They stopped remembering. They stopped practicing. And they failed to repeat. Every time they had a breakthrough, they failed to repeat it over and over again because of a hard heart. You know, our seasons in life are our greatest mentors. They're our greatest mentors. And our the season that Israel was in for 40 years was trying to mentor them and they just couldn't get it. And a whole generation ended up dying in the wilderness. So I wanna say this as we close, to protect our peace, to protect our peace, we need to protect against the hard heart. To protect our peace is to hold our peace. To hold our peace is to stand still in trust with God before a moment that seems impossible and let God do the thing that he's promised he would do, and that's take you through. If he's brought you to something, he will always lead you through something. Wherever you are right now, I wanna pray for you. I wanna believe with you that in this season, you're gonna cross over, whatever it is. I wanna believe for you that you would become a man or a woman of peace. Maybe you're listening right now in your car, maybe you're watching live or watching after the fact. If you can, just stand up with me, if you can and just lift your hands. You don't have to, but if you can, just as a posture of opening up your heart, opening up, kind of like what Moses did. He lifted up his hand as an act of surrender. And that's what moved the things ahead. He, there was a physical action representing an inter internal reality, an internal revelation of trust. And I just believe in this season, you're gonna see God do things that are beyond your ability because you've held your peace. So just stand up with me, I wanna pray for you. If you're driving, if you're sitting, it's okay. I'm gonna pray for you too. God, I thank you that it's your design and your desire as the Prince of Peace himself to let that same peace be lived through our life, that we would practice, that we would repeat, that we would hear you, we'd remember all the things you promised us so that whatever situation we're up against right now, we can move through with confidence in Jesus' name. So God, I pray right now for peace, supernatural peace. God, release it through this camera right now. Release it through this audio right now. There'd be supernatural peace that you would hand to your people to do your work, to, to, to do what God's called you to do, called, called them to do. God, I pray that they would be people that would fight with peace, that would build with peace in this season, that would see the value the value of living it out every single day. You said, peace I give to you, not as the world gives. You give it to us in a different way, with eternity in mind. I pray that we would see beyond our circumstance. We'd see beyond our present challenge, opposing situation, and we'd see like, wow, I see the hope on the other side. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. 
Let the foresight, let the insight in that area help guide us in the process right now to be men and women of peace in Jesus' name. Thank you for what you're going to do, God. I know there's going to be some Red Sea moments for so many people listening in this next season. God, we are called to be people of the impossible. We are called to be people uh, 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 that, that move and walk by faith, not by sight. And so sometimes it feels dark. It feels like we're blind to you know, what's on the other side of the challenge, but we're called to walk through those things by faith. And I pray that you would energize our faith right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, love you guys. I know this went a little bit longer, but we love you. We're believing for amazing things in this next season. And we can't wait to see you live in person. And uh, if you're not coming in person, we'll see you next week right here online, same time. God bless you. Have an amazing week, Kingdom Culture.